0: 98.7 FM. Arizona's sports station. Bickley and Murata. It's going to be lit is what I hear every single day. It's 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 the greatest radio show ever. Dan Bickley. Vince Murata.
1: It's the greatest show on earth.
0: Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata. This is the greatest show. Good morning and welcome to the world. Bickley and Murata.
2: I love this show. <laughs> Me too. It's the greatest radio really show that's is. ever existed. Yeah, really, really. It is. In case you needed a refresher for the new version of the prolonged open.
1: Let's cut the crap, Mr. Murata. Weekly and Murata. I hate everything about this show. This is the worst show in the world. Welcome to another game night in Phoenix. We're getting used to this. This is a lot of fun. Dan Bickley, Vince Morata. Did we mention his name? He did buy his burritos. <laughs> after, Not out of the goodness a- after, of his heart. After he threw me into the bus yesterday. He lost He lost a bet. He paid up on his bet. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah.
2: That was for Vinny. The rest of you guys was out the kindness of my heart. Oh I, okay. think, I, I don't even think and that qualifies as stomach. paying off a bet if everybody got paid off. I'm the one that made the bet with you. I right. think I should get another lunch out of you this deal. You should eat everybody else's real quick.
1: Dan Bickley, <laughs> Vince Murata, and Jared Carlin on game night. I was thinking that um, the Suns back in the day used to have one of the greatest nicknames for an arena in arena nickname history, the Madhouse on McDowell. Yes. Okay? Mm-hmm. Could there be something comparable for this arena? Now you don't have to come up with something on the spot because I didn't run this by any of you guys, okay? It's a good social studies question. It is a good social studies question. I'm thinking like maybe the jackboot.
2: The wait, I need a I need an explanation. Okay, here. a
1: jackboot is is sort of like it, it's it's a military style boot that is sort of symbolic of real tyranny and power and It's hard coming up with something alliterative with Jefferson. Yeah, the Jackal House on Jefferson. Does, I mean, all- Think about alliteration it. works, but you're
2: right. There's not a lot of great vowels with J, Mm-mm. at least that are clean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So there's, there, you know, it, it's it, if there's another crazy crowd tonight, we might be getting into that arena where where the arena needs a nickname. What about?
2: Um, I mean, you could use. You could use the north south streets. You got Third Street on one side.
1: You got First Street on the other side. Oh, oh! I now you t- the furnace on First. The th- th- <laughs> th- on Third the. Th- <laughs> 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 right. Uh, All right. Yeah. Well, it's game night. We're gonna have some fun. Start the show, Jarrett.
0: Splash. Splash. The stories making waves in the sports world. The Splash. The Splash. Brought to you by Presidential Pools, Arizona's number one pool builder. See why at presidentialpools.com.
2: And we start the splash. Yes, it is game day in Phoenix. Game two of the Western Conference semifinals between the Denver Nuggets. And Phoenix Suns on tap for tonight in downtown. Phoenix Suns looking to follow up their strong Game 1 performance with a win tonight to maintain home court advantage. Denver coach Michael Malone says Michael Porter Jr., who tweaked his back in Game 1, should be ready to go. There's also a chance that wing Will Barton will return to action after a layoff with a hamstring injury. Barton started 52 games for Denver this year, but he has not played since leaving a road loss at Golden State on April 23rd in the first minute of the game. Tip-off. A little bit earlier tonight, 6.30, as this is the only game on the postseason schedule for the night. Pre-game coverage starts here at uh, 6 o'clock on 98.7 FM.
1: So what you're saying is the world will quite literally be watching the Phoenix Suns tonight. Except for those who gave up long ago on the NBA.
2: I'm not watching that crap. (laughs) I'm going to watch The Bachelor. Yeah. at Or whatever it is this this time around. (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Well... We'll have a lot of, uh, obviously, game two breakdown on uh, what Denver needs to do, what the Suns need to do to uh, go up 2-0 in this series. Denver's Nikola Jokic will take the court tonight as the league's MVP. The results of the voting were announced yesterday. Jokic ran away with the crown, getting 91 of 100 first-place votes. He beats out Philadelphia's Joel Embiid and Golden State's Stephen Curry. Two-time defending MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo of uh, Milwaukee finished fourth. Suns point guard Chris Paul finished fifth, which means free burritos for us from Jarrett. Uh, he received two first-place votes. Jokic, who was drafted 41st overall in 2014, becomes the lowest draft pick ever to win the award and the first center to win it since Shaquille O'Neal in 2000.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, this is uh, it's a fascinating uh, thing this sequence of stories because the MVP trophy now is a it's a heavy thing you've got to wear if your team is currently in the playoffs. If you're MVP, you better be the best person on the floor or for your team or at least win your individual matchup. Game one, he didn't do that. that is a, lot very of, true. a lot of pressure on him to live up to this thing. This is going to make tonight... A fascinating moment from that perspective. Look, I don't want to make things harder
2: on Nikola Jokic, but the weight of that award is so immense. How immense is it? it, It's really hard to operate with that MVP pressure cooker microscope in the playoffs. I mean, how many guys have tried and failed to do it in the past? (laughs) See what I'm doing? I do. Speaking things into
1: existence. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um... No, there's a very good chance that after tonight, people might really be questioning 90% of the MVP. That guy.
2: I have no problem. I think. Yeah. You know, I. I. I, we'll I think see. the voters got it right.
3: No, I, no,
2: I think. I'm not he, saying they got it wrong. I, I think he was most deserving. But you're right. That the view changes now.
1: The process really stinks. The fact that this is a coronation. That whole thing that went down with Brian Windhorst. The 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 mistreatment of uh of Chris Paul. The elevation of Steph Curry. All of it seems really, they got the winner right, I would venture to say that, but everything about it just seems ridiculous to me. I agree. <laughs> Not even mentioning the fan vote. Oh, we'll get into all yeah. of it.
2: Um, I, I had no such thing, uh, That even. I had no idea that such a thing even existed until I saw the tweets about it yesterday, and that might have been the most well, ridiculous part of all of it.
1: I still don't know what you're talking about, enlighten me. Uh, the the Derrick Rose first place oh, vote? Oh, that, yeah. that, that. Okay, That yes. came from a fan vote. What fans?
2: I, uh, fans yeah. of red flowers? What the hell is going on, NBA? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Last night in the playoffs, Joel Embiid of the 76ers went off for 40 points. Shake Milton. Came off the bench to score 14 points in 14 minutes, and that is a great nickname, by the way. It is. Philadelphia evened its uh, Eastern Conference semifinal series with Atlanta at one game apiece. Uh, Milton hit a three-pointer with 219 left in the third quarter to give Philly a lead. They would not relinquish it. Utah Jazz got a last-second block shot from Rudy Gobert on a Marcus Morris three-pointer to preserve a 112-109 win over the L.A. Clippers in Game 1 of their second-round series. Clippers led by 13 at the half. But Donovan Mitchell caught fire. He hit for 32 of his 45 points in the second half to lead the Jazz to the win. Game two of that series is tomorrow night. Clippers head coach Tyron Lue getting a little bit of heat for not uh, opting to call a timeout for that last shot. And it ended up in the corner for a desperation three from Marcus Morris on yeah. a team that has a superstar. And a player who sometimes masquerades as a star in this league in Paul George, but well, it came, in, came into the hands of Morris.
1: It was really good team defense. It was. I mean, they made Kawhi Leonard give up the ball, and it ended up in Morris's hands, and then it was, yeah, it was But not a good end The argument is
2: you can you can combat good team defense by actually setting up a play in that instance and using I, the timeout. I totally agree. Yeah, and the Jazz didn't foul, and they got away with it because they had Rudy Gobert. Uh, another coach hitting the unemployment line in the NBA is ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the Indiana Pacers moving on from former uh, Valley High School coach and son's assistant Nate Bjorkren. What a yeah. Bjork. <laughs> after just one year, Pacers finished 34-38. and 38. They were knocked out of the playoffs by the Washington Wizards in the final Eastern Conference play-in game. Not really a surprise there when you read all the late season stories that came out about the dysfunction in Indiana. Yeah. Apparently they're uh, hot and heavy after Terry Stotts, who was just let go by Port. Was. Wow. Okay. Cardinals made it official. They signed first-round pick Zavin Collins, a linebacker out of Tulsa, to a four-year deal with a team option on year five. Contract worth just under $14.7 million in total value. Collins, of course, has already been slated to start at one inside linebacker spot alongside last year's first-round pick, Isaiah Simmons. Only Rondale Moore remains unsigned. Devondre Campbell, the former Cardinal, signing on with the Green Bay Packers. D-backs losing streak Hits uh, 18 straight on the road They lose 5-2 to the A's in Oakland last night An ugly fourth inning was their undoing They've got a day game today uh, And going for loss number 19 in a row Matt Peacock on the mound against uh, Sean Manaya first pitch 12:37. Pre-game coverage starts at 12 On ESPN 620 AM And the Mercury came up short last night They fall to Dallas 85-81 Despite 27-16 and 16 from Brittany Griner Same two teams Friday night at Phoenix Suns Arena. There you go. There is your splash for Wednesday, June 9th. We will get into it. Game two on tap for tonight in downtown Phoenix. Let the fever pitch continue. Suns Nuggets will uh, attack it straight ahead. It's Bickley Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
0: Suns playoff coverage presented by Four Peaks Kilt Suns Suns win. The Suns win the opener. Team 2 of the Western Conference
4: semifinals tonight in
0: downtown Phoenix.
4: That Phoenix crowd right there, they have a true, real home court advantage. And I'm telling you right now, if other teams that play against them don't find a way to get their fans in their arenas, and they ain't like that, you ain't beating Phoenix. The home of Phoenix Suns playoff basketball.
0: 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Bickley and Murata talk Suns
5: Nuggets. Now. Yeah, I mean, we've always stressed that every game is a life of its own, especially in the playoffs. And so you can learn from, you know, a game like game one. And then and we watched the film this morning and we talked about a number of things that we can improve. And we also talked about uh, the mentality of the opponent that we're facing. You know, they're playoff tested and we only have the experience that we have this year. So our guys understand that we have to be pretty steady with our mentality of, you know, obviously not getting too high or too low, no matter what happens. So I think that's, you know, the blessing of having veterans on your team. Uh, They they stress those um, messages in the locker room and and everywhere they, they interact. So I think that's all you can do. Is, is try to prepare your guys in that fashion. And um, we've, we've done a decent job of, of staying pretty balanced with our emotions from game to game.
4: Yeah, I think
2: that's a reflection of the head coach, too, Monty Williams, talking about uh, just the, the mindset of going into game two of this series against Denver, not getting too high after a win, not getting too low. Let that uh, be the role played by the fans in in a playoff series. You certainly don't want your players reacting, um, you know that, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, whatever you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Don't let the players get too high or too low. Let the fans do that. That that that's what the fans are for. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I think coming into this segment, that that bit from Stephen A. Smith is about the best thing I've ever heard him say, because that, to me, really has been a story in the playoffs. The home court advantage has been a definitive advantage for the Suns so far. You, you played a Lakers team that did not allow nearly as many percentage capacity fans as you were, mm-hmm. certainly not nearly as influential into into the momentum swings of the game, and then the first game against Denver, it continued. So um, yeah, I, it's a story until it's not, and, yeah. and I think that I think the standard has clearly been set, and I would hope that at this point in time, everybody who goes to the game now is going to fuel that very same uh, that very same atmos- atmosphere. And for those of you, you referenced
2: Stephen A. Smith in those comments mm-hmm. that were in that the little production rejoiner that we had here. Here was the full statement of Stephen A. Smith yesterday on First Take on ESPN. To this
4: day. I still, My hair still stands up on my skin, and I, I mean, I love crowds. Mm-hmm. I love that environment. You know, when you used to travel to the Oracle, and the watch Clay and the watch Steph rain threes was special. But that Phoenix crowd right there, it's special to watch. I, I'm going to go out there for a game. It's special to mm-hmm. see. They have a true real home court advantage, and I'm telling you right now, I understand COVID's going on and all of this other stuff. If other teams that play against them don't find a way to get their fans in their arenas and they ain't like that, you ain't beating Phoenix. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, that crowd is the proverbial sixth man, and it is special to see. It's a treat. To watch this game. I, you want to be there when you're watching the That's that a home game, court event. No question. Especially, so, coming coming home court of,
0: event. especially coming out of social distancing. Yes. And now you see that. They, yes. You felt like they fed off the energy.
2: A hundred percent. Think about that, yeah. Vic. There's people around the country wishing that they were in Phoenix, Arizona in June.
1: Well, <laughs> and again, it's it for for the exactly, and for the longest time Phoenix sports fans have always been on the other side of of those kind of conversations. We have always been ranked on the worst fans, the most pitiable fans, the softest fans to, to have moments where people are going, "Wow, that's what you want. Wow, look at that. Wow, I want to experience that." That's a victory. That That's something that I that I think people here should vibe on. I, I think they are. I don't think there's any doubt about it. It's it, I, I also here's here's what I think it is, too. It's this is not just because I've been talking now for weeks about what I think is coming in terms of performative. Um, aspects of entertainment and athletic aspects of entertainment. I also think this is what happens when a town gets a basketball team it really loves and has not been able to show it to them for a long time. Period of time, mm-hmm. so a lot of this is the magic formula in Phoenix has always been yeah, being good and making the playoffs is not enough to rally this city. We have a long history of proving that, but if, if but if you're entertaining and likable and really good, now it's another level now now our hearts are wide open for you. It is the perfect confluence of
2: good for bandwagon new fans mm-hmm. and long time starving fans. All at once, because it's the first yeah. playoff appearance in 11 years for the long-time
1: fans, right. and it's the first playoff appearance in a long time for the new fans. Now, there's uh, along the way, people who have been there, the, the diehards, there are going to be some cringy moments, because what happens now is that television news stations get news people involved, and they start doing really fluffy kind of stories. I'll never forget, as long as I live, when the Diamondbacks first made the playoffs, the Arizona Republic for whom I worked at the time, published a gigantic piece trying to explain baseball to newcomers. And it was a primer about how there are three strikes per at-bat, three. The the lead of the story was so cringeworthy, it literally said, think of baseball in terms of threes. Three strikes per at-bat, three outs per inning. And I'm like, we're running this? in a major metropolitan newspaper. Three inches of tacky substance on the baseball. Right, right. Three and hours minimum for the first six innings. So there's going to be cringeworthy stuff like that. But, but you have to understand that's because there are people coming to this now that generally would never come to anything regarding sports, who just, ah, sports, give me a break, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and if that's you... You're
2: missing out. Well, and that's why, you know, echoing, you know, or, or feeding off of what Stephen A. Smith said, we know from a competitive standpoint, the Suns as the higher seed already have home court advantage. With that crowd and the way it has reacted to what the Suns are doing in these playoffs, mm-hmm. in these first two series, you got two levels of home court advantage. That's why tonight, you know, the Suns as a team, I, I think, you know, I think they're going to bring it, but mm-hmm. there's more doubt on what the the Suns are going to do as a unit in in relation to to playing against competition than what the fans are going to bring. I think the fans are going to be on fire again. Yeah, and yeah. It's imperative
1: they win this game tonight. It really is. This is such a turning point game. This can be. This game puts you as a basketball franchise into the HOV lane, and it really, if you think the path is open now, it, it really can start to get wide open if you go up 2-0 on this Denver team, for a lot of reasons that we're going to get into today. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll expect a a different look from uh, the Denver Nuggets and uh,
2: that thought in just a moment. But uh, we want to remind you that uh, we're giving away the hottest tickets in town. Listen all day for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the sold-out Phoenix Suns playoff game tonight. Game 2 is the Suns take on the Denver Nuggets. It's the hottest tickets in town game day giveaway Here's the way it works. You'll hear a sounder once an hour. When you hear that sounder, you want to be caller number eight at 602-260-9870. That's how you win them. So you don't need to be calling all day. You just need to listen a little closer. Listen for the sounder, then call. Uh, And uh, like I said, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets every hour today here on Bickley and Murata. Coming up next, how do the uh, Suns react to a very strong game one? And what do they expect from the Nuggets in terms of adjustments for game two? We'll get into that. Next, it's Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Shazam! 98.7
0: FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The hottest ticket in town game day
2: giveaway. That is the sounder you're listening for, which means phone lines are open right now. 602-260-9870. If you are caller number eight, you will win a pair of tickets to tonight's sold-out Phoenix Suns playoff game against the Denver Nuggets. Listen all day for your chance to score the hottest tickets in town. Phoenix Suns playoff tickets. Against call, uh, call 8 right now. 602-260-9870. Good luck. This is the home of Phoenix
0: Suns playoff basketball. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station and the Arizona sports app. Suns playoff coverage presented by Four Peaks Lifter. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now.
3: This uh, game more game plan and discipline. I, I know in the first quarter, and second quarter, we had a lot of breakdowns, guards and the bigs, and they would get easy shots, wide open shots, wide open layups, dunks. You um, we kind of cleaned it up more at halftime, but I think we, we need to do a better job coming out Um, on top of
2: this. That's Suns forward Torrey Craig who was a factor in game one against his former team talking about what the Suns can do to improve in game two and some people might say improve Uh, Torrey Craig's right on the money that was not a sharp start for the Phoenix Suns I think they were fortunate to be down by one point uh, at the half because of the way they played in the first half and we just saw a completely different team a different focus a different effort in the second half and they dominated the last 24 minutes but Uh, while the Suns are looking for ways to improve on an impressive performance, the opposition, the Denver Nuggets, are looking for ways to, uh, well, adjust because they couldn't hang in the second half of that game. And they can't afford another
1: performance like that if they want to extend this series at all. Yeah, a couple things in in doing a lot of reading and research last night among Nuggets people, there are a couple of uh, themes that came out. Number one, that the Nuggets had a defensive strategy that – that didn't work out at all for them, and basically what it was was they had their bigs, namely Nikola Jokic, come out and provide pressure on the ball, and then try to scramble back into some sort of zone coverage. So if you were play the game in your head, I'm sure you can see Nikola Jokic running up, then running back, and then trying to find a spot. What the less out of game one, according to Denver, was the, that the Suns are much too good of a passing team to employ that kind of strategy, at least in the manner they did in game one. So they either have to trap a lot harder or come up with a different defensive scheme entirely that that doesn't always pressure the ball. So that's defensive tactics. That's at the forefront of what Denver is looking at going into this game. I think what... I think what makes this this Suns team feel really, I, I'm not going to say um, impenetrable right now, but the reason why I think there's so much optimism, it's not just the crowd. It's the fact that in Game 1, you had five starters scoring double digits, four of whom scored 20 or more points. Nobody shot the ball fewer than 12 times. Nobody shot the ball more than 14 times. Mm-hmm. That's about as balanced of an attack as your. Ever going to see in a playoff game? In fact, it hadn't been done since '95, and the last team to do it was the Suns wow. in '95. Um, you remember that team, don't you? Because I don't. Who's on the '95 Suns? Charles I thought, Barkley, Tracy Green. Gone, but no, that you're right. That would have been Barkley's last year.
3: Yeah. Danny Manning was he on that team?
1: Um, yeah, I believe. Googs. <laughs> Yeah, Antonio McDyce. No, they were not. That that was the the next iteration. Kevin Johnson. Right. Those guys. Dan Marley. (laughs) 99 of their 122 points in game one came from the starting five, and so that kind of gives the Suns a real powerful vibe going into game two.
2: Well, and that's what people are looking at, too, is like Devin Booker, again, in that very efficient offensive performance from a shooting standpoint. He did have the five turnovers, but only took 12 shots. That's the second least amount uh, of shots he's taken in a game this mm-hmm. year. The only other game he shot less than that was uh, December 29th against New Orleans, a game that the Suns won easily. He only played 25 minutes and shot nine times uh, and had eight points. But 12 was yeah. the, was the next lowest. So I would expect a much more concerted effort to get him involved. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, there's going to be adjustments on both sides. Torrey Craig also talked about that. Okay. What are you guys expecting to see differently from Denver in game two? I'm
3: expecting it to be a fight. Tomorrow they're going to come out more aggressive, more physical. Um, they're going to definitely want to bounce back and try to steal a game here to to, to, reach, to take home court advantage. So, um, and, and as a team, we have to know that. So I, I expect nothing less than a fight tomorrow. I mean, it should be a dog fight. Uh, two teams competing hard. Like I said, they're going to come out more physical, more aggressive. But we just have to. Uh, match it and, and excel and, and play the same way we've been playing and, and take it up a
2: notch again. Michael Malone, the head coach of uh, Denver, uh, he previewed some things that could be different from a personnel standpoint. Yeah, you know, I think Michael Porter should be good to go. Um, you know, he got treatment all day today. I uh, had a good conversation with him. So uh, barring anything unforeseen, I believe Michael should be go- uh, good to go for game two. Uh, Will Barton had another really good day. Um, So, you know, I think he's definitely a possible candidate to uh, play tomorrow. Now, I'm not trying to say that he's definitely going to play. Uh, We have to continue to have those conversations with the training staff. But for me, the eye test watching Will uh, play today, uh, I have a lot of hope that he's able to give us some minutes tomorrow. And if it's not game two, maybe it's game three as we move back to Denver. That's not guaranteed, Uh, so let's not get too excited. Look, and if that happens, Will Barton is an important part of this team. Mm -hmm. Just him being on the floor for the first time since April would give an emotional lift, and that's the biggest change I expect. I mean, throw the X's and O's out, throw the strategic adjustments out. Michael Malone called out his team and said it was a soft effort. Aaron Gordon, who I think played harder than any Nuggets player in Game Mm 1, added another word. He said scared is another way to look at it. Um, when your toughness is challenged in a playoff series by your head coach, it doesn't guarantee you're going to win the next game, but it better damn well guarantee that you're going to have a much more concerted effort yeah, uh, so I expect the, the Nuggets to play way harder than they did in Game
1: One. Um, uh, uh, yes, and and I think again, I think there's going to be a, a market correction on free throws and that sort of thing tonight. I would expect that. And too. I think that's something the Suns have to reconcile before the game. Yeah. What are the odds on Nikola Jokic not shooting a free no. throw tonight? Not uh, zero. <laughs> and especially, and again, I I've not watched a ton of Nikola Jokic enough to know that he's extremely talented and very smart as a basketball player and and can score in a lot of ways. Man. Does he whine a lot to the officials? Oh, he does. I'm, oh, and to the like,
2: detriment of defense running you know, down
1: the court, where and, you know the Suns are running and have, have numbers, and and he's lagging behind, yeah, talking to the it's, officials. It's it's always been one of my only criticisms of Devin Booker that sometimes he has been guilty of doing the same thing, looking and barking at an official while running down court to play defense is not good basketball. That's selfish. Basketball, you've got to work through that stuff, and I, and I think the Suns have to brace for that tonight. But you know, here's the thing: again, when you get to the balance, this is this is what's fascinating to me because now Michael Malone has put all this pressure on his team, basically saying y- you guys more than anybody else are the reason why you lost that game. You're just soft, okay? There's an element of truth in what he's saying here, but when you have a team that played as balanced as the Suns did in Game One, where 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 do you adjust? How do you? Where what do you choose to attack? When you're dealing with four of the five starting lineup guys over 20 points, well, the shot distribution was practically equal among five guys. That, I I feel the same way, uh, especially
2: in that second half performance. You sit down as a coaching staff to attack something, and, and there's always answers. But you're like, okay, wh- where do we start to yeah. attack this thing? Because there wasn't one. There wasn't one area
1: that stood out from from the others. No, and and I think that um, I'm I'm really um, encouraged by what Tory Craig gave this team in Game One, and I hope this series is going to afford him a lot a bigger role because I think he's a terrific basketball player. I think he does a lot for this team, mm-hmm. and and I think this matchup it's a big night for this team. It really is. They take care. They handle business tonight, and they are in they are in firm control of this series. Yep, Samantha
2: Bradley's going to the game. She was caller number eight. She got two tickets to tonight's game two in downtown Phoenix between the Suns and the Nuggets. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets every hour here on Bickley and Murata. It is the hottest tickets in town giveaway, so be listening for that sounder all day long. D back struggles continue, uh, but I've got a new plan for the D backs moving forward as we get you ready for the matinee in Oakland. D backs on deck straight ahead. Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station
0: the home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball is 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. We're checking in on the D-backs as they warm up for the game's first pitch. D-backs on deck, brought to you by Sonic. This is how we Sonic. Stop by your nearest location today for the new Cheesecake Blasts for a limited time, only at Sonic. And by Trajan Wealth. Get your retirement on deck with Trajan Wealth, your local trusted financial fiduciary. TrajanWealth.com pitch david swings and pops it up shallow center coming in the center fielder bolt makes the two-handed catch and the ball game is over and the d-backs have dropped 18 consecutive road games they lose to oakland five to two at the
1: coliseum Tori, is is that as frustrated as as you've ever been in a in a game as a manager
5: probably
2: yes Mike Farron on the final call last night in Oakland, 5-2 loss for the D-backs, as you heard Mike say, 18 in a row in the loss column on the road. That soundbite was Nick Picoro asking Tori Lavello after Friday's loss, which was the 15th in a row on the road, if Tori Lavello had been that uh, frustrated ever before as a manager, and he said, no, I haven't. That, that's yeah. probably as bad as it was. There's, that's three losses ago on the road. They're nearing like historic levels here, Bick. Uh, The Diamondbacks with their 18 straight losses on the road. They are now uh, the owners of the longest road losing streak in baseball since the 1985 Pirates, who lost 19 games in a row on the road. Uh, So they can match that today. Next up would be the 1969 Kansas City A's. I think they were still in Kansas City at that point. Uh, 20 games. The 1943 Philadelphia A's. 22 games. And the 1963 New York Mets. Wow,
1: that's quite some company they have there. I didn't expect it to be a historic season. For All right, the so let's backs. get to your idea. Come on, stop burying the what? lead. Vinny has got the best solution for the rest of this baseball season.
2: Can we so, go? Can we go out of order today, Jared? Can we do the keys to the game
1: first? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I I forgot. No, we I, we can. Yeah, sure. We can do what we want to do. Okay. All right. Here's the keys to the
5: game. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm the keymaster.
4: I am the keymaster.
0: D-backs keys to the game Brought to you by Sell 2 Sands Take away the hassle of selling a vehicle yourself Go to Sell2Sands.com today They were the Oakland A's
2: by then, right way. Oh, were they? 67 they moved Okay, okay That was right before they became just the dominant Oakland A's in the early 70s uh, My key to the game, I won't bury the lead anymore There is no key to the game Lose, lose, lose Lose as many games as you can, Diamondbacks. <laughs> you are not salvaging this season. It's not really about pride All anymore. Right. Um, if it was, you wouldn't have lost 18 straight games on the road. So your, advi- Tank. So your advice is tanks for everything. Tanks forever. <laughs> wow. And there's a reason why. Yeah, I hear this. Because if you get the worst record in the league, next June you'll have the number one overall draft pick. Number one overall pick. Two words. Elijah Green, oh, okay. top prospect out of IMG Academy in Florida. He's committed to go to the University of Miami. I doubt he'll play college baseball because he's going to be a high draft. Pick. All right, there are Mike Trout comparisons, uh, and Mike Trout was not even that highly thought of coming wow. out, uh, coming into into uh, the big leagues out of the draft. He was drafted twentieth overall. For goodness sakes, they're calling Elijah Green as the most can't miss prospect in baseball since Bryce Harper.
1: Wow. Okay. And and you've got a chance. Okay. First of all, for context, Vinny follows minor league baseball. So, so this is not some, some absurd, you know, stir the pot kind of scenario. So if, if there's a prospect that good awaiting the number one draft pick, I'm all for this. OK, because the Diamondbacks need that guy. And I'm sorry, Ketel Marte isn't that guy. He isn't that guy because the other day on an update on another radio station, he was called Kettle Marte. Well, maybe if that's... you've got a budding superstar in your market, I think you, people know his first name. Maybe the person doing the update just uh, likes vodka. I was going to say, maybe it was a <laughs> <vodka> sponsor. <laughs> um, OK, uh, here's, here's the issue with this now. Do you, to do this, I'm all for this. You would have to call Tori Lavello in and say, listen, Skip, we're trading off the farm, we're trading Peralta, we're trading everybody, and this is just the way it's going to be. Do you want to still be here? Do you want to see this thing out? Because it, it, everyone will know that you're tanking, and, some, it, and you don't want to do that to a manager without his consent. This is what ruined the relationship between Don Maloney and Dave Tippett. This very, very thing. Mm-hmm. Instructions to tank, and it blew up in their face. And Dave Tippett just was not built for tanking at all. And so, it, it you got to be real careful where you tread here. If you want Tory Lovello as part of your future, you've got to have him sign off on this policy. I think it's a great idea. Look, personally, I've always had an objection
2: to it from a Diamondback standpoint because of the realities of the market. Um. The realities are different in the market now, and I'm speaking locally. This would be the perfect—and look, it might not even be a conscious effort to tank. This mm-hmm. team's not very good. Mm-hmm. They can't hit, which to me is is the biggest problem of all. Now, pitching, they've been compromised. They didn't do much to to build a bullpen. We get it. The starting pitching has been ravaged by injuries. I don't think even with the injuries they have, mm-hmm. uh, they have much of an excuse to, to be as— have as little production with the bats as they've had. Yeah. But I've always said, all right, if you if you want to tank and 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 tear it down and rebuild in a 3 or 4-year rebuild process, what does that look like? Well, you're you're getting a free year basically mm-hmm. because um yeah, they're allowing 100% capacity at Chase Field, but the crowds have been way down this year and I it it's not 100% because of the on-field product. It's a, a lot of it has to do with the country Adjusting to uh, normalcy after a, a year-long pandemic, and and a lot of people aren't there yet. So I, I think you're getting a free year in that process this year. If you want to throw the kids on the field and and take your lumps and and start the process early in hopes of getting that number one overall pick next next uh, yeah. June.
1: This is probably the year to do well. It. And and I think it's important because I, I think the Diamondbacks have certainly improved their farm system. But the guy that looked like maybe the next the guy that could be our Fernando Tatis or our Vlad Guerrero Jr. kind of guy was Christian Robinson. Mm-hmm. And, but then you began to wonder after you heard of his his arrest when he. Assaulted an Arizona Department of Public Safety officer, found wandering on the side of I-10, and maybe it was a bad night, maybe it was um, some sort of illness or whatever, but it it certainly cast a pall over a guy that was really kind of being shined up as the next organizational diamond coming down the pike. So if this Elijah Green guy is really that decorated yeah, sign me up, because this is the only way for long-term sustained success, baseball in Arizona. I think we've we've learned so many lessons the hard way with this baseball team. Yeah, Christian Robinson still hasn't played at all in the minors, by the way. Is so that that, right?
2: that situation is okay. still out there. That's my idea, anyway. Yeah,
1: uh, I'll, pitching I'll, matchup today is yeah. uh, brought
2: to you by Berg Simpson Law Firm. When the game is on the line and you've been injured, nobody matches up to the Berg Simpson Law Firm. Visit bergsimpson.com. That's B-U-R-G-Simpson.com. Good lawyers. Changing lives uh, for the A's today. It's twenty-nine-year-old left-hander Sean Manaya, four and two, three thirty-six ERA, seventy strikeouts in uh, just under seventy innings. His last start, he's coming off a complete game shutout, six nothing win over the Mariners on June second. He had eight strikeouts. In fact, Bick mm-hmm. Sean Manaya is the only pitcher in the major leagues this year to have two complete game shutouts. Uh, he did it also in April against the Twins. He has a 0.87 ERA over his last three starts. So it'll be a tough battle again today for the D-backs-Bats. Uh, Mania relies on three pitches, sinker, change-up, and curveball. Going for the Diamondbacks today, 27-year-old right-hander Matt Peacock. He's making his fifth start of the year's 13th appearance, 2-2 two two with a 4.68 ERA. He's got only 23 strikeouts and 32 and two-thirds innings. Uh, he was on the mound last Friday in Milwaukee. Took the loss in a 5-1 decision, and I don't know if you heard Tory Lavello yesterday on uh, Burns and Gambo, but um, he did specify that one of the things that really frustrated him in that game in Milwaukee on Friday mm-hmm. was Matt, Me- Matt Peacock as a pitcher not backing up uh, bases on that play, okay. the Little League home run. So, oh, okay. Um, he didn't sound angry about it anymore, but he did say it pretty matter-of-factly. Uh, Peacock relies on three pitches as well. Throws the sinker about 68% of the time, slider changeup. There's your pitching matchup brought to you by Berg Simpson Law Firm. Quick look at the Major League Baseball standings, and it's not a pretty picture for the Diamondbacks as they have the worst record in Major League Baseball right now at 20-42. and 42. They are 19 games out of first place in the National League West. They are four-and-a-half games behind the woeful Colorado Rockies for fourth place in the West. Okay. So that three-team uh, three, uh, race continues in the West. San Francisco still on top of the division. Uh, they're 38-22. and 22. The Padres two-and-a-half games back, and the L.A. Dodgers three games back. It okay. still warms my heart a little bit to see the Dodgers at th- in third place at any point.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think they're going to be okay by the end of the year, though, Vinny. Yep, uh, there you go. There's D-backs on deck, D-backs and A's, Twelve
2: first pitch. Pre-game coverage starts at noon on ESPN, 620 a.m.